Hi everybody, I'm John Sherwood and this is my podcast where I seek to fuel faith in Jesus in the 21st century. I'm a minister of the gospel and believe in making disciples who make disciples because Jesus really is beautiful and amazing and worth following with everything that we have. You can check out more resources at my website, johnsherwood.com, where I write about the intersection of faith and modern culture, as well as Bible study, leadership, and faith interviews, all designed to help ignite and fuel faith in Jesus Christ. And with all that, let's dive into the episode. We've been uh, in this series that we just kicked off last week called uh, The Seven big questions. There are seven big questions. And so if you weren't here with us last week, you can certainly feel free to go back to our website and check that out. But I started to introduce kind of where we're going and what we're going to be discussing over the next several weeks. And um, interestingly, uh, one of the questions that we kind of had the audience talk about, some of the largest questions that we as humanity face, uh, no matter where we're coming from, no matter what heritage or nationality or time and history we are, there are questions that we wrestle with that are common to all humans. And one of them is, in fact, as Sherwin alluded to, uh, pain and suffering and the whys behind these things and how to make sense of that. And we're actually going to dive into that next week. Uh, So please feel free to join us next week as we tackle that question of why does God allow pain and suffering? And uh, just a little teaser, I'm I'm not going to be able to answer that completely for you, but hopefully I'll have some thoughts that can be helpful. Uh, So... Last week we talked about seven questions that we're going to be kind of exploring. And I was reading this morning this book that I've been diving into by Dallas Willard. He talked about uh, in the reading that I had this morning this idea that we have questions in our faith. And sometimes, especially from some, for some of us that have been in the Christian heritage, we, we almost can feel like it's wrong to ask questions. Or that somehow we're being not faithful by asking our questions. Or we can be in environments where we're not encouraged to ask questions. Just believe, little Johnny. Don't ask those kinds of questions. And sometimes our faith is stifled because we feel like we're unable to be honest and sincere with genuine, real, and sometimes very difficult questions. Well, so today I want you to know that God is not afraid of our questions. And He wants us to ask them and to ask them honestly. But as I said last week, we might not always find the answer that we're looking for. And the answers that we do find, we might not always like them. And sometimes the answers that we find might not always be satisfactory. But I believe that the Bible across the world stage of human history offers the most coherent, hope-filled, and amazing answers to some of life's most difficult questions. This year, we're going to... This year. This morning we're going to dive into this question does life have a purpose and we're going to show a little video that some people put together at exploregod.com that take kind of a sampling of different people's responses to this kind of a question does life have a purpose so let's go ahead and check that out Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that 
because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I believe it's random, to be honest. I don't think there's a plan. I think you make your own destiny. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life. I'd prefer to do more. Love, happiness, joy, yoga. I think oftentimes you realize what the purpose was more by looking back than looking forward in my way. Some people plan ahead and know exactly what their life is, uh, what their purpose in life is, in their mind anyway. meditating daily, um, just coming out here to the beach. Whether it be spending time with friends or family or uh, putting some gas in my boat so I can go fishing, catch a few fish, go home, have a fish fry. Uh, I live day by day. I like to take it like that. Society wants you to think that your life's purpose is all about work and making money and uh, moving forward from that direction, but uh, I think that's wrong and I'm still trying to figure out what's right for me. I'd say that because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. I believe every person has a goal, and that goal can be found in God. I think everyone has a reason to live. Everyone offers something to this world, whether it be bad, whether it teaches people to be good, or whether um, all right, so this is a question that I think is pretty common to all of humanity. What's the purpose, the meaning of my life? Is there such a thing? And I remember when I was in my early 20s wrestling with this kind of question, and I remember feeling a sense of hopelessness that there wasn't really any purpose. There was really no meaning to my life other than just simply try to experience as much fun and pleasure as I can right now. Maybe try to get more money so that I can have more pleasure. Uh, maybe try to find another girl to have more pleasure with or to find some sort of value in my life. And I remember not really putting words to it, but wrestling through this very question. What is the meaning of my life? And I remember coming to some very dissatisfactory answers. There's really not one, is what I kept coming to. And many people around me tended to think the same thing. Your life really doesn't have much meaning or purpose. I found that to be really depressing. I found that to be really hopeless. I wanted my life to have purpose. I don't even know why I wanted that, but I did. Do you? There's a question behind that question. Why do we even ask this question? Does my life have meaning? Does life have purpose? Why do we ask that? I think there's something inherent in us that wants it. We want purpose. We want meaning. I'm not sure I can exactly explain why that's inherently there. But I think it is. So in the middle of me asking this question, in the middle of me wrestling through these ideas, coming to very uh, you know, bleak conclusions that, yeah, John, sorry, there's not really much 
meaning to your life other than today. I started to get really depressed. I started to get really down. I started to feel extremely hopeless to the point where I was like, life really isn't worth living at all. If life has no real purpose beyond today, then why am I living? Tolstoy said something very similar in The Devil and Other Stories. It reads, then what is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I'm afraid. To wait for death till it comes? I fear that even more. Then I must live. But for what? In order to die? These are questions that are not unique to us, that I think have been asked in one shape, form, or another from the very beginning. And I found myself in a very similar situation. I thought, life with no purpose is not worth living, but I'm afraid to die. What if I kill myself and I find that whatever is next, if there's anything, is worse than now? And that uncertainty kept me afraid. And so I remember being on hard drugs one night with my 45 Ruger loaded, one in the chamber, dropped the clip, and sat there for hours contemplating this very question. And I was afraid. I was afraid to die. I think that's another common thing to humanity. Fast forward in my life a little ways, and I started reading the Bible. I met some people that started showing me the Bible. And I remember one of the books that stuck out to me early on when I first started really reading the Bible seriously with any intent in my adult life, and it was the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's open up there. Ecclesiastes kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to read along. We can have somebody pass you a Bible. We have several extras. We do have a conviction and a hope here in this church that every person can lay their own eyes on the scriptures for themselves. This book, Ecclesiastes, is written by this ancient king of Israel named Solomon. And he's writing about, guess what? His search for meaning and purpose in life. Well, don't you know, wow, the Bible actually starts to tackle this very question. What is the meaning of of life and do I have any real purpose? This King Solomon was more wealthy and powerful and wise than any other person alive. He had tried it all. He had every resource available to him. And he comes to some really profound conclusions. Today we're going to kind of peruse through this book that encapsulates his search for meaning and purpose. We're going to start in chapter 1, in verse 16. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. That's a pretty strong statement, right? Could you imagine saying that about yourself? I have grown more in wisdom than anyone else who has ever been. Okay, so either he's extremely arrogant... Or as my mom said, it's not arrogant if it's true. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. He says, More than anyone has ruled over Jerusalem before me, and I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom, and also of madness and folly. 
But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? You mean Santa Claus isn't real? Oh! The more knowledge, the more grief. We experience this in all kinds of ways. Look over in chapter 2, in verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Any of you guys HGTV fans? So this has not gone away. It's still in vogue. We love to build houses and planted vineyards. And I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. What does that mean? He had a lot of money, a lot of resources. He had power over people. He said, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees, not reservoirs to keep people alive. No, I made reservoirs where? In Jerusalem. You ever been there? It's kind of hot. I made reservoirs just so I could have some more trees. And he says, I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. Again, signifying power, wealth, prominence. He's a king. He says, I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Any other king, Solomon was the richest king ever. I've amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Until you get there and then you realize, no, that's, that's actually not worth it. What's he saying? I have everything that you could want. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. Wouldn't you like to just have that for this week at work? Just one week you would like to take delight in your work for one week. He said, all of my work was a delight. Wow. And it's because he wasn't doing any of it, you know. <laughs> he was just delegating, right? And this was the reward for all of my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what all my toil had achieved, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Chapter 3 and verse 10. He has made everything beautiful in its time, referring to God. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet not one of them can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Chapter 5, verse 10. Just kind of flying over Solomon's 
wrestling and search for meaning and purpose. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Are you satisfied with your income this morning? No. He says this too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. You experienced that before? Go ahead and hit the lottery. Find out how many friends and family you really got. <laughs> As goods increase, so do those who want to take them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. As a famous poet once said, Mo money, mo problems. <laughs> Chapter 12, in verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. So Solomon is writing at the end of his life about all of this search, all of this struggle. And now he's going to write us the conclusions of what he found. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. I wish our epic ministry was here to hear this. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark because you can't see and your vision's failing. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Jump down to verse 13. Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So Solomon finds in his great quest, sometimes we wish we were Solomon, right? I remember reading this for the first time and feeling like I didn't have all the resources that Solomon did. I didn't have all the money, but I felt like I had denied myself no pleasure that I wanted. At least I went after it. And I felt like I came to some very similar conclusions. Meaningless, meaningless. What happens when I get there? What happens when I grab it? What happens when I attain that pleasure? It goes away and I have to start the chase all over again. It's like a chasing after the wind. And I thought, wow, this is some really cool stuff here in this Bible. Maybe this is special. 
somehow this guy thousands of years before my life asked the same questions and came to the same conclusions. But in spite of all his riches, in spite of all his power, in spite of all of his vast experiences, they were ultimately meaningless. And he found that life apart from God is just chasing the wind. Why? Because everything in this life is going to end. Every pleasure that we experience, every experience, every tree, every pond, every blissful moment of nature where everything seems to be coming about in just the right way, we feel that sense of euphoric joy, it goes away. And you got to go back to work on Monday morning. <laughs> you got to go back in the living room with your screaming little kids. <laughs> you have to go back to life. All of life is temporary. And he says that everything's going to pass away, including us. And because death is the great equalizer of humanity, he says that we can only find meaning and hope in this life through God. Otherwise, you better just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. great equalizer, because death is what makes everything temporary, he says, you got two choices. You chase the wind or you figure out what's going to last forever. So the question that I think is begged this morning for us from Solomon is how do you live? Do you live like there's a God or not? And I think this is a very important question for us. We're all in church. So we all say, yeah, of course, I'm living like there's a God. Are you sure? You know, there's a religion that's becoming very, very popular. That's often known as practical atheism. Claiming that God exists, maybe even that you believe in Jesus. But by the way you live your life, you live as though there's really no God at all. You're practically an atheist. You may not say you're an atheist, but practically that's how we live. And it's incredibly popular in our culture. And this is the worldview that actually turned me off to Christianity for so many years. It goes by another name called hypocrisy. And we would go to the Christian gathering in high school, and I'd go with my buddy who played the guitar, and we would get high before we went. And we'd go and hit on all the girls. We were living as though there was no God, but we were singing Kumbaya, and I thought, what a sham. I thought, I don't want to believe something that I know is fake, that doesn't seem intellectually honest, or just honest really in any sense, right? So we've got to allow Solomon to ask his question, how do we live? Solomon said at the very end of it, the only thing that really matters is to live like there's a God. Otherwise, you only have today. Let's look over in Acts chapter 17. We read this last week, and we talked about a clash of worldviews. 
We talked about Paul bringing this worldview to the Athenians and this clash of their worldviews. And he's talking to them about how they're really religious. He's walking around Athens 2,000 some years ago. And he says, I see that you guys are very religious. I see that there's all kinds of idols and gods and inscriptions and temples and places of worship. You're really religious. But he says, I saw a statue that had the inscription on it to an unknown God. And as we talked about last week, the Athenians were very religious. They were making sure they had all their bases covered. We want to make sure that there are no gods out there that are going to be unhappy with us. And so just in case, we're going to set up a statue to worship for one that we might not know of right now. And it's sort of the catch-all, right? And Paul says, let me tell you about this God you don't know. We'll pick it up in verse 24. He starts to confront their worldview with a different one. And he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Hey guys, guess what? Athenians, God doesn't live in that temple over there. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. And guess what? When you take him food into that temple, he doesn't need that either. He's actually not hungry. But when you go over to that temple and you sacrifice your own children, he's not pleased with that either. Or when you go over here and you participate in orgies, that doesn't actually please God either. He doesn't need any of this. So your worldview of you doing something for your gods through these forms of worship is not actually true. It's not actually right. He says, God's not actually served by you. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Guess what? That food that you brought him, he gave that to you. The ability for you to go and participate in that orgy, he actually gave you that ability to breathe and walk and think and talk. Actually, everything you have comes from God, not the other way around. He's confronting their worldview. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. These worldviews are clashing. And today as we're talking about, is there meaning and purpose in life? The Bible is going to sometimes confront our own worldviews. Even when we think our worldview is a biblical one. Sometimes our worldview gets confronted. And we might not be bowing down to statues of gold and silver. We might not be going to an Athenian temple and having orgies to worship God. But we have our own worldviews on how God wants us to worship Him. And many times, it's actually not the way that God views things. Maybe it's the way that the pastor views things. And you just borrowed he or she's ideas. Maybe it's your old sweet Granny Mae. <laughs> and her love and devotion for God. And you've borrowed 
her worldviews. We have the way in which we view the world, the philosophical understanding in which we perceive reality. Many times we're not aware of why we think those things. Worldviews are often unnoticed. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do I believe reality is the way it is? Oftentimes we don't even know that. It just is. And Paul, for these guys, is confronting that. He's saying, guys, wake up. God doesn't need your food. Why do you think that? He says every person was created by God. And God created every person for a reason, for a purpose. Paul strikes at the heart of this question today. Is there purpose and meaning in life? Paul resoundingly says, yes. God created you for a purpose. What does he say that purpose is? It's not to chase money. It's not to get people to like you. It's not to be famous or have the most likes, follows, or retweets. That's actually not God's purpose for us. He says that God's purpose in creating us in the first place from one man, he made every nation of men for a reason, that you would be known by God and know God. God's purpose for creating us and giving us life in the first place is to actually have a relationship with him. Because he, unlike the money, the work, the satisfaction, the pleasure, the eat, drink, and be merry, he will last forever. And he wants us to have a relationship with him that will last longer than all of these other things that we can try to find purpose and meaning in life. Even good things, like love. I love my wife. I love my children. Sometimes more than I wish I wanted to. But I love them deeply, but I know that it's not going to last forever. Those kids are going to fly the coop, and they're going to become teenagers, and my love might dwindle. <laughs> and they're going to go off and lead their own lives, hopefully. God remains forever. And if I could pass on anything to those that I love most dearly, I would want it to be that of which is of greatest value. That sons, your life will end one day too. Let's learn from Solomon that life really only has purpose in God. It's the only thing that makes this life that we're experiencing and living right now worth anything of greater value than eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow it will be over. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say on the matter. Matthew chapter 6. What is the purpose and meaning of life? This is a question that all humans have asked in one shape or another. Some take it more seriously than others. For some, that question is more important to them than others. But everyone asks it. And there have been many answers proposed to humanity over the course of history. I believe the Bible and Jesus have the best answers going. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? You know, that's a great question to ask yourself when you go into work tomorrow morning. As you sit down at your desk, or as you have that meeting that you really don't want to ha have, or you plug into your laptop, because I know here in Asheville most of us are remote workers, right? Or maybe you travel and go to your place of employment, which isn't in Asheville. Whatever situation you find yourself in, it's good to check our worldview, even about work. Jesus says, is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Meaning, isn't your life more than just going to work for a paycheck so you can buy more food and more clothes, fresher kicks, a nicer car, a bigger house? Fill in the blank for food and clothing. Because in our context, many of us aren't struggling for where our food and clothing will come from tomorrow. But that doesn't mean that we don't love money. And that we're not looking for our life to have value and purpose in the things we can buy. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I'll never forget. I had this experience once. I was a college minister on campus at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was sitting there out in this open area in the center of campus. And I was just kind of sitting there, kind of praying and reading a little bit. And honestly, probably feeling a little frustrated at the, uh, the soil of that campus <laughs> um, as, as I did not have great success there. Um, but the Lord was planting seeds, and, and here we have GT grads from later on down the road. Um, but it's obviously a very intellectual school and uh, a very large international population. And I remember sitting there just praying and thinking and trying to, you know, just make myself useful to God, to spread the gospel in this context. And I remember there was a bush near me, and all of a sudden this bird darts out. And, you know, kind of started like, what in the world? That thing was there the whole time, you know? And I'm literally like two feet, three feet from this bush. It darts out. And so I, I kind of look closely, and it darts back in. And there's a little nest in there. And this little mommy bird that was very small is flying back and forth to feed these little chicks in this nest. I sat there for about a solid 30 minutes watching this bird collect food for its babies. And it was the most random looking thing you've ever seen. This bird would just dart out and then just go fly around and look for an insect to capture. And it would catch one and fly back, chew it up, give it to the babies, dart out and do it all over again. I'm like, what are the chances of this thing finding an insect every single time? There's no plan. The bird's just flying out and the baby's lives are dependent on that. And I thought, wow, Jesus said, even the birds in the air are taken care of by God. And I remember having this profound moment of faith, like, wow, that's what Jesus is calling me to do, is to trust in that kind of fashion. I remember thinking, if I was a bird, that would be dumb. And I'd be in my nest, you know, concocting a plan, getting some numbers of some other birds I can network with, like, hey, I'm going to need some food. I'm going to need it for a little while until these things get out of my house. You know, like I wouldn't have taken the approach that that bird did. And Jesus says, are you not more valuable than them? And I just remember feeling cut like, oh, God, 
God, you love me so much. You're even taking care of this thing with no plan. Randomly darting in and out. And it's the south in the summer, so there were plenty of insects around. <laughs> but I thought, Jesus, you tell me that God loves me so much more than this bird. How much more will God take care of me? And I was challenged in my faith. And I was challenged in how I go about trying to manage my life. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? <laughs> And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's intense. Let that bake in for a moment. Solomon, we just read, he chronicles all the things that he'd done, all the money that he had, all the stuff he bought, all the experience that he was able to provide for himself because he had resources to no limit. And he's, Jesus says, even a flower is more grand than Solomon. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And now Jesus is starting to turn that knife, you know, he's like, you, oh, Jesus, come on now. So do not worry saying, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Who are the pagans? In this context, it would be the people that Paul was just talking to in Athens. Who are the pagans now? It could be us sitting here this morning. It could be this practical atheism. It could be that we believe in God, but we live our life practically like pagans, those that don't believe in God. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things, the food, the clothing, they will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That one verse we could probably spend our entire lives trying to actually practice. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Wow. Jesus says that if we seek God and all that which he rules over, his kingdom, everything that God has purview and sovereignty over, our lives will have purpose <coughs> beyond that which the pagans have. What purpose does the pagan have? Solomon just told us. It ultimately boils down to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. That's your greatest purpose. Check. The only two worldviews that you can have is that today's all you've got, and you better go get it, and that's it. Nothing else, just like you saw in the video. I believe it's all random. There's no purpose. You make your own destiny. What does that mean? Love, joy, peace, yoga. <laughs> that's the only worldview you have. If you are a pagan, outside of the worldview of God, that's all that life has to offer you. That's all the world can offer us. Jesus says that in a worldview that has God in it, that God is sovereignly reigning and is king over his kingdom. He says that our lives can actually have purpose beyond this right now. That our lives can have eternal purpose. The world, and this is where I found myself that night. 
sitting on my bed with my gun. The world tells us that our purpose is to avoid death at all costs. To try to look as young and beautiful as long as we can, no matter how much surgery or makeup or liposuction it's going to take. We're so afraid of death and aging that we want to continue shopping at Forever 21, <laughs> even when we're like 81. And this is becoming so prominent, so popular, it's in your face. I see women and men like in their 60s and 70s dressing like they're in their 20s. And what does that tell me? That this worldview is very strong. This is all we've got. And we're trying to cling on to it as best we can. We do not want to go into that good night. And because of our fear of death, we cling on to this worldview that I got to eat, drink, and be merry. I got to try to find a way to get people to like me. I've got to find meaning and purpose right here, right now, and that's all there is. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I want you to hear what I'm not saying. Because some of you guys that shop at Forever 21 just got massively offended. <laughs> and that was not my intent, I promise. I'm all for taking care of ourselves, okay? And the Bible teaches that we are to take care of ourselves as Christians, that we're to take care of our bodies because God dwells in our bodies through His Spirit. But our true beliefs and our real worldview that we actually hold is revealed when it's no longer about taking care of our bodies through proper nutrition and exercise, but rather an exercise of vanity and a diet of worshiping the created rather than the Creator. This is what Jesus says the pagans run after. Worshiping the created. And those things have no lasting purpose in life. People who have no God have no lasting purpose. And the writer in Hebrews says that they've been held captive their entire lives by the fear of death. So I want to kind of close out today as we ponder with Solomon thousands of years ago, as we listen to Jesus talking about these same kinds of questions, what is the purpose and meaning in life? I want to encourage you that if you don't have God as your center and as your deepest purpose and meaning in life, I want to offer you a better way. A way that you don't have to fear death. A way that our meaning and purpose doesn't have to be encapsulated in today. But we can have greater purpose. And I would invite you to listen to Jesus' challenge. To seek first God's kingdom. What does that mean? What would that look like for you this week? To seek God's kingdom and not some other kingdom. Whether it's your kingdom or the world's kingdom or some other kingdom. And I would also invite you to study the Bible. Ask somebody here. Come talk to me. Let's look at what does the Bible say the way we should view the world is and what do we think about that? I was convinced when I studied the Bible intently for the first time that the Bible has the most coherent, hope-filled, amazing way to view life in the world. And I came to the same conclusion that Solomon did. To fear God and keep his commandment is the whole duty of my life. Amen. And that is what gives purpose to everything else in my life. Jesus says that we shouldn't fear men who can only destroy the body, but that we should fear God who can destroy both the body and soul in hell.
Thank you for listening to this Faith Fuel podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.